Hey there, welcome everybody again to another episode of Business Principles. We're here today with the lovely Ariel Best, who is the VA loan lady that everybody should know if you need a VA loan. But I wanted to talk to her today more about who she is, how she does business, and why I really appreciate just the way she transacts and shows up on a daily. How you doing, Miss Ariel? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. So why don't we start from the beginning? Like, what got you into loans? How did you end up doing loans? Um, well, it was an accident. <laughs> so I was in sales and I really did not like it. I, I was in telecommunication sales for a long time and I didn't feel good about it and got out of that, went back to uh, bartending for a while and kind of was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up at 25. And a coworker of mine from the sales job I was at called me and said, you'd be a great loan officer. And I was like, sure, I'll try that. So I applied, got licensed, and I figured out that I could do this job in my pajamas. And I had a lot of fun doing it. And I like helping people uh, become homeowners that want to be homeowners. And that was really satisfying for me. So that, again, it wasn't really on purpose. It was like a, sure, we'll try it kind of a thing. And it turns out I'm kind of good at it. That's funny. That's that's how I got into real estate. It happened when I was really? buying my yeah when I was buying my first house. The broker said, "Hey, you know what? You really got everything." I didn't have to explain it to you multiple times. I teach a free loan officer and real estate agent one on one class. Would you want to take it? And I'm like, "Sure, why not? I want to do something new." <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, that's cool. I'm glad I'm not the only person that's like, "Sure, we'll try it." Oh, I'm good at this. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, it was definitely not planned. Like I didn't it was definitely. Um, how'd you get into specializing in VA loans? Oh, um, that was, a uh, my first VA loan that I ever did. I did not know what I was doing and, um, didn't realize that I should go sit down and read the handbook. And by the way, if you want to specialize in VA loans, just go read the handbook. Uh, that's <laughs> all I have to say on that. And I, I, it was a torturous process for this veteran. I had no idea what I was doing, didn't know what documents to ask for, and didn't know how the VA loan was different from other loan products. And I, by, by the end of it, they closed by the skin of my teeth, they closed. I fought so hard. And I didn't, I realized after the fact, when I sat down and opened up the handbook, because my uh, ex at the time, he was, he was a veteran and he was like, oh yeah, it was bad when I got my house too. And I was like, it shouldn't be this hard. And then I cracked the handbook. I'm like, oh, it's not, nobody knows what they're doing. Great. So then I sat down, read the handbook cover to cover three times in a row with a highlighter and went through all the things that I had realized that I had dealt with on the first loan I'd ever done that was VA and was like, all right, I did this wrong. I did this wrong. I essentially made an executive list of the things that I had done wrong that I needed to watch out for later. Uh, and then just, again, memorize the handbook. And then I started posting content about it and people would find me and go, hey, you look like you know what you're doing. Well, I've read the handbook enough at this point that I could probably tell you whatever you needed to know. So sure. And it uh, kind of organically spiraled from there. I started with Facebook and then middle of the pandemic or right before the pandemic had really kicked off. One of my girlfriends was like, you should be posting this content onto TikTok. And I said, okay. And that's, that's how that happened. That's funny. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've known you for a little while. I've been watching you on Facebook and we've been friends on Facebook. And I just, you know, it's, it's funny how you, you show like, no matter what it is, email that, you know, talking to you live, you know, this day or whatever on the phone, like you're you no matter what, and whether TikTok, Facebook, you're you. And I think that that's, that's a rarity, you know, in this world today, like, and you just truly transparent about who you are and you deliver information. Um, how does that, like, what kind of, I guess, backlash of any have you gotten, 
you know, being in the mortgage industry, like I'm sure, you know, everybody's got an opinion and I'm sure you've been thrown a few of them, but like, because you do just lay it out, out there, has anybody really like been a real butthead and reached out like, Hey, you need to stop doing this or whatever. Oh yeah. Um, so in 2021, I was fired three times for TikTok and for posting <laughs> on social media. Uh, it's, it's such a weird thing because in one place, in one, in one space on the internet, everybody loves me and I am revered. And that is so awesome that that group of people, which is the veterans that I work with, they're like, you always post such great content. It's always so useful. I didn't know I needed to know this. And now I do. And they all like, by the time somebody applies for a mortgage with me, they've already watched almost all of my channel. And they're like, nope, I already know what's going on. I've already watched all your videos. I know the next steps. So you tell me what I need to do next. And I'm like, this is great. And then on this other corner of the internet, I am kind of seen as like a pariah because it's almost like they're, it's, uh, I don't want to say gatekeeping. That's not the right word, but the content distribution of the important pieces of a mortgage, they don't give that information up front to their clients and I, that to each their own, but I would prefer the client knows what's about to happen because number one, it saves me a lot of time. I'm not having to tell them, don't put cash in your account and don't do this and don't do that. Cause they already know they've already seen the videos. And again, there is, it's weird because getting, I'm rambling, I'm sorry, getting fired three times from people that don't understand that the ultimate client is the consumer and not the realtor is kind of the basis of how I operate. My client is the person I'm doing the mortgage for, not necessarily the real estate agent. Uh, And because I normally have the client get a hold of me first at this point, like I don't have a lot of realtors that send me business. I have realtors that I work with that I trust, but I send them business. So that that's a very odd concept in our field to be the person with the business when the realtor is not. So it's it's interesting. It's it's been interesting still kind of fighting that fight and meeting people that are like, oh my God, it's you. And I'm like, yes, hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> so yeah, I that that you're you hit around on the head in the sense of like, you know, you do business differently. And and that's what I love because that's what I've always done in my life. And yeah, I always tell everybody that mortgages and real estate, more so real estate, but I see it in the mortgage world too. It's like, it's nothing but like an adult high school, right? There's the cool kids, there's the mean girls, there's all, and all these cliques. And like, if you don't fit in, which I've never fit in, I've always just done my thing. Like, you know, you're, like you said, you're either loved in one corner and you're a pariah in the other. And everybody wants to, my favorite thing and I can say this because I am a real estate broker that, are, you know, I love those posts. And I mean that sarcastically that when people try to compare, oh, well, you wouldn't ask your doctor to pay, take a pay cut. We're not doctors, you know, so we'll try to compare what we do. And, and I think that gatekeeping or whatever is like people want to keep this facade that we're doing these magical things. And it does take skill and it takes knowledge and it takes the ability to understand what you're doing. It's not not anybody can write a mortgage or you know help through a transaction but it it's not something that not everybody can learn i couldn't agree more and to your point i've had a lot of people i've had a lot of veterans that have reached out to me who are pre-approved with other lenders and i will flat out tell them a monkey could do your loan your loan is very easy um what are your concerns and i will go through their concerns with them and just give them honest information and typically by the end like last night i talked to a veteran family that already spoke to veterans united and they're like we're already pre-approved but i don't feel like i'm getting the accurate information. And I was like, okay, here's what the rules are. And before the end of the call, they'd filled out a loan application with me. And they're like, we prefer to use you because you know more about this and your answers. And I, I can, 
if they ask for them, I'll be like, here's the handbook, here's the guidelines. But I always just read directly from the handbook what the rules are. And I will tell them, this is a lender overlay. This is where you're running into an issue. This is, this is, the, this is the difference between what they're offering and what we have available. And I, I let them really just get the honest information. And that is, that is primarily, I think the reason people work with me is because I don't, I'm not, again, I don't gatekeep information. Working with somebody that knows the exact thing that you need is more important to some people than somebody that gives you warm and fuzzies. I will warn my clients. I am not the warm and fuzzy type. Do not ask me to make you feel good. If it's something that is, I, I tell them I'm, if there's any time I'm going to call you during the transaction and something is going wrong, I will warn you to stick your head between your knees because I'm about to give you bad information that's going to possibly upset you. Uh, but I'm calling you with the, here's the problem, here's the solution, here's how long it's going to take me to fix it. I don't give out pre-approvals unless I know the loan is going to close. So I know at least the veteran is fundamentally approved. It's a property issue, and now we have to solve it. And that takes a lot of the emotions out of it for people when they're like, okay, I don't have to panic because it's not something that I've done. It's not something that has happened with our loan. It's not something that the loan officer me has missed. It's just a situation we're going to overcome it. And that takes, it takes a lot of stress out of people's lives when they know, hey, this is going to be okay. And giving them that field, that subject matter expertise is so critical. This is a big purchase. You're buying a house, not a candy bar. You should be working with somebody that knows what they're talking about. Well, I get it. And that that's, that is so true. And I think, you know, it's, you know, you hear that everybody wants to be the quote unquote trusted advisor and you've got all these coaching programs for mortgage people like oh become their trusted advisor but very few people actually like I always tell everybody you know it's like you know anybody like you said a monkey can do the loans they're all there the rules are all there it's not like anybody's doing anything different every lender is doing the same loan obviously with different like you said overlays and and rules and some people are smarter than others and understand it better but it's all about who understands like your particular situation and takes the time to understand how you fit into those rules and, you know, giving people the straight answer and a solution for it, it it's got to be comforting to them. It is. Well, and it's really very particular to the VA loan too, because not all loan programs, and speaking to the VA lenders conference specifically, I'll, I'll back up before I say my statement at the VA lenders conference in Kansas city last week, the, they had a whole panel with credit and underwriting. And one of the things that they said was all underwriters should be using a holistic approach to underwriting, which is about as crunchy granola as you can possibly get. I'm like, where, where's the braided armpit hair at this point? Because that's going to be the next thing you guys tow out on stage. But it is, it's very accurate. Holistic underwriting is how the underwriters are expected to do a VA loan compared to conventional or FHA, which have very strict guidelines. Your credit score has to be X or X happens and the different tiers and layers. The VA doesn't have a lot of those things set in place. So situational awareness and full scope on the file are something that a lot of people miss when we're talking about VA loans. There is no minimum credit score. There is no maximum number of late payments. There's so many things that are left open to underwriter discretion that it is every single case by case is a special situation. And you do have to have very, you have to have a lot of experience and a lot of, a lot of practice in making sure that you're executing. I mean, you have to execute it correctly. You need to get the scope on the, every single individual situation separately. Yeah. And would you say that, um, you know, we've gone down that rabbit hole. Would you say that depending on what's going on with the economy and everything else, lenders will adjust what they will when they're looking at that holistic, what they will look and overlook and what they won't. 
I'm starting to see, I would say, yes, I'm starting to see more lenders tighten up on things that have been perfectly fine as far as like extenuating circumstances is a big one. I had a veteran family, lost their job, had a late payment, got caught back up. And originally the underwriter was like, nope. And I'm like, wait a second. I have closed this exact loan where a veteran lost their job, had a late payment, got caught up with a new job. And you guys closed that back in 2020. What has changed since then? And they're like, oh, we'll just send us the full file to review. Well, that was the purpose of me sending it to you to begin with for you to review it. So I will do the thing, but the immediacy of a no, the fight is about to become a lot harder with the economy. Like the federal reserve said, they're not raising rates anymore, but they have also advised that lenders are likely to start tightening the purse strings. And that is already happening. So not to beat the dead horse, but using somebody that knows how to not only navigate the loan itself, but navigate the lending institutions that they're sending these loans to is critical. Yeah, I, you know, you just reminded me of a story. I was showing a property to somebody who was a, a veteran who, you know, they were going to, I can't remember what the lender was, but it was, you know, it was either credit union or a big bank. It wasn't, you know, like a, a mortgage broker or whatever. And, you know, I was talking to the guy, he was a first time homeowner and, you know, he was buying it, you know, he had this housing allowance that he was all happy for. And I was just asking him questions and then, like he had no idea what um, like, you know, monthly electric bill should run him or gas should run him. And I'm like, he was only looking at that mortgage payment. And I was thinking like, nobody's taking you aside and just edgy, like you've never owned a home. And obviously you don't have a resource somewhere that somebody told you like, you know, what's it going to cost you to cut your lawn? And like, like, do you find that there's a lot of, I know just in regular, there's a lot of people who aren't as educated, I know I wasn't when I first bought my first house, and there really isn't that many people that are willing to tell them the truth because they're afraid that they'll lose a deal. Oh, all the time. I would prefer, though. Again, I I get that all the time. I I have a whole script that I will normally hit my clients with when they call me. So a veteran gets on the phone with me, and I tell them the three things. Number one, I will not sugarcoat you. I am not Willy Wonka. This is not a candy bar. I would rather hurt your feelings with honesty and give you accurate information than have you think that I'm trying to fluff your feathers and uh, make you feel good. You should, buying a house is like uh, active labor and delivery. Like, especially if they have kids, I'm like, do you remember when your wife was screaming at you and saying, you did this to me? That's what the next 45 days will feel like once you're under contract to buy this house. It is incredibly stressful. And as a loan officer who bought their house mid pandemic, I cried four times the day I closed on my house because everything that could go wrong went wrong. It was a nightmare. Buying a house is super stressful. It is not going to be fun. You're going to want to not talk to me for six weeks after closing. That's fine. You don't have to. I'll call you when you're ready to make your first payment and walk you through it. Past that, you're going to block my number. I get it. I don't really have a lot of fallout though. Most of my clients are prepared because I prepare them the best I can so they know, hey, this is your worst case payment. This is the worst case rate right now. This is not locked. This is the worst case that could happen while we're under contract. So that they know, if, I mean, most of my clients, if they know what the worst is, they can prepare for that versus somebody not telling them the worst and then the worst happens and then that falls out anyway. You lose that business anyway. Okay, well, now you've just made yourself look like you don't know what you're doing because you didn't warn them that this could happen in advance. Yeah, no, that's crazy. So two topics that I didn't even think of, like I was going to ask you, but as you were talking, I'm like, you know what? It's the VA loan lady, so let's ask her. Um assumption of VA mortgages, right. you, know, that, you know, I'm sure like that, that instantly probably shot all kinds of, I got an opinion about that. So, you know, you see a bunch of agents talking about it, you see all this misinformation out there. 
can you kind of give some give us like the short version long version i don't care how long it takes the all truth right. of what okay. you're all right so assumptions a va assumption i'm just going to crash course this is the same thing i tell anybody that was to call me about this so va assumption all VA and FHA loans are required by Congress to be assumable, meaning that someone can take them over from you. So you're taking the debt from borrower number one, the debt on their credit, the debt that's on the legal paper, the deed. Um, and depending if the other person's a veteran, that entitlement, that benefit, and you're just transferring it over to another party. Um, there are pros and cons to doing it. The biggest pro, obviously, is that if you are a veteran, let's assume it's a scenario with two veterans. If you're a veteran and you're assuming the loan from veteran number one, you get to keep the same rate that they originally got on that note. So if they bought a home in 2020 in, let's say, August, that rate's probably a 2.5, 2.75. That's a fantastic rate to assume. That's the benefit. That's the end of that sentence. That's the end of the benefits is you get to keep the same rate. The cons are extensive because, and it's not necessarily cons, it's just realistically, this is what you're likely to deal with. The VA has said that a servicer and a servicer is the department that you would have to go through in order to do a VA assumption. You don't get a loan officer. You don't get a processor that helps you with the documents. You get typically one department, which is typically minimally staffed, um, and they will send you an email and you have to be able to read and interpret all of the legalese and mortgage document names and be able to figure out what they're asking for with no assistance. I have a veteran I'm helping with one right now, and they just said, we don't have a phone number for you to call. You have to go via email to do the entire process. So you have to figure out what all these documents are on your own. Make sure you get them the right one. And it's a full application. It is a full credit and income underwrite when you're assuming a loan. So it's just like doing a mortgage, but with no expert to help you. And if you don't provide them a fully completed package, they cannot begin the assumption process. They are required to do the full assumption process within 45 days. But if you don't give them a completed packet, like a completed uh, assumption packet, or there is no guarantee it gets done in 45 days. Average is between 60 to 90. And that's if you're hustling to get everything in, because you also have to have a purchase agreement drawn up by a real estate agent or an attorney. Uh, and that's just the paperwork piece of it. The other pieces to it are that, let's say that the home... The, the loan that you're assuming is 250,000. The purchase price is 300. That difference between 250 to 300, you have to come up with out of pocket, which means you have to have $50,000 cash plus your closing costs, or you have to find a home equity line of credit that is both assumable, just like the VA loan, and willing to subordinate. I have not been able to find a HELOC provider that will offer a HELOC that is both assumable and subordinates. So it is damn near impossible to find a loan to cover the difference. Most people have to come out of pocket for it. And again, it's not a bad option, but it is an option that I don't think enough people give very accurate information on. Realistically, the, the hardest part is the paperwork and then dealing with the difference if there is a difference. The biggest thing that I will stress super hard, and I will say that the VA has put measures in place to prevent this, is if it is two veterans, the loan itself and then the deed will get transferred to veteran number two from veteran number one. What does not happen automatically is a substitution of entitlement. So when you buy a home with your VA loan, you're using a benefit that is awarded to you based on your time and service. So you essentially get a, a VA home loan credit card, so to speak, and you swipe it when you buy a house. That balance that you have swiped without a substitution of entitlement form, which is included with the assumption paperwork, 
does not transfer to veteran number two unless you both sign and veteran number two agrees to essentially trade their American Express balance over to you. Their VA home loan benefit balance would be charged and the veteran number one's balance would be forgiven or wiped clean. That has not been a thing that happened a lot prior to the assumption thing becoming a big thing. They put out a circular about it saying that this form needs to be checked one way or another. Because what happens is, is if veteran number one does not do a substitution of entitlement with veteran number two, they can still go buy another home with their VA loan, but they have lost that entitlement either A, forever, or B, they have to send the VA a check for the entitlement, even if that home was sold and it wasn't a foreclosure. So think about it the easiest way. If the home was 250 and they did not do a substitution of entitlement to get that benefit back in full, the veteran number one is going to have to cut a check to the veteran Department of Veterans Affairs for $62,500 after they've sold a home if the substitution did not happen. Crazy. So there's there's pluses and minuses to it. And unfortunately, again, because there is no loan officer, I will speak on it a lot. And I it always it drives me a little crazy when realtors will talk about it because yes, it is a great option, but I think that they should just be providing this is this is the program. These are the bullet points. Here's what you need to know before you agree to this. Because, and I, I'll be honest, I don't know how many people are actually following through with assumptions, but I'm assuming based on the amount of chatter I hear about it, it's probably a decent amount. I just I wish people were more forewarned going into it than they than they seem to be with the way it's marketed. Yeah, I think that, and not only the realtor world. There's a lot of people who do, quote unquote, creative financing groups and stuff like that that talk about this and they talk about how you know you know you can assume things but the the biggest i guess red flag that you would also probably recommend or tell people if it's because it, it, if it's not a va if the person wasn't a veteran they can't assume the va loan right they can so a non-veteran is allowed to assume a loan from a veteran in which case the entitlement is again gone unless you cut a check to the va for that entitlement back okay so yeah that's so that's and I think that's the part that a lot of people don't tell other people, right? And they, you know, because that's, a, I wouldn't say that's the ugliness, but it's the it's the fact that makes the deal less attractive to the person selling the home. Right, right. And again, that's something that I feel like people should be having very clear conversations with people about, because you don't need to be licensed necessarily to discuss this. If you are a real estate agent with a veteran who's selling their home, but you should definitely know the bullet points and the potential infractions. And where that becomes a problem very specifically is if a non-veteran is assuming the home or assuming the loan from your veteran seller and your veteran seller is buying another home and is using their VA loan to qualify, if you let them uh, have a non-veteran assume the loan and that entitlement is needed, you've now shot not one, but both transactions down straight out of the air because they need that entitlement for their VA benefit to use on the next house. Nice. I've not heard of that happening, but that very well could happen. And I've had to save veterans, not save, I've had to kill deals before where I've had a veteran call me and say, I was told I don't have enough entitlement now, all of a sudden after everything is said and done. And I'm like, no, you don't. You're completely screwed because you already closed on the substitution or you already closed on the assumption. There's nothing you can do about this unless you want to cut a check to the VA. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, that. Do you feel that the, that there's still in, you know, it's been around forever, but do you still, still think that there's a lot of agents out there who don't really understand it and who, 
you know, it surprises me what I see on the realtor forums, what people actually post, you know, in regards to not understanding loans and like, oh, they don't want to take a VA. Do you think that there's still, you know, an issue with people not getting it, that there's nothing wrong with the VA loan? Because I know for me, for as an agent, we've never, I mean, I, I personally love VA FHA, you know, those are people that are more, they have more buy-in than somebody that comes in with 50% down, you know, um, for, so to me, I, you know, I got no problem with them, but I know that there's a lot of people that still kind of guide their sellers, you know, without saying so away from those type of loans. Oh, every day, all day, every single day I'm having conversations and I get tagged in a lot of the Facebook groups. And at this point, I don't even engage when it's a post in one of the real estate groups, because I am not going to be the voice that changes their mind, but I can tell you, and I'm so excited to share this with a real estate agent, um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, just so all the realtors who may pay attention to this podcast, uh, listen in on this, this is good. Everybody, all, a lot of realtors do not like the VA loan because they assume the appraisal is stricter. They assume that the appraisal will take longer. They assume that it is going to come in under value. There are a lot of negative assumptions. And to their credit, prior to 2019, that was an actual fact. VA appraisals were not as good as they are now. But since 2019, they had redone the entire handbook and redone the chapters on appraisal requirements and appraisal processes. And they have gotten it to the point now where not only are VA appraisals faster than conventional by two days, and that is a statistic. It's not a, an opinion. That is an actual statistic. On top of that, VA appraisals come in low less often than conventional appraisals by another three to four uh, percent. Conventional appraisals come in low somewhere around 11 percent of the time. VA appraisals only come in low about eight percent of the time. Uh, national average from 2022. And on top of that, and this is the cherry cherry on the top of the Sunday. Fannie and Freddie are both going to be sending out updates and circulars that say that they are going to mirror the VA's appraisal process for both Tidewater and reconsideration of value. So when conventional loans are going to follow VA handbook guidelines, and that's going to be the rules that get sent out in June, I can't wait. <laughs> so every Tell me oh. now that it's a worse loan product when Fannie and Freddie are copying them. I will wait for whatever you would like to tell me about this now. But, yeah, no, that's that's a kicker. Yeah, I saw that you were at the at the VA loan conference. What were and I saw that you were there were some big takeaways. You said that there were that you were learning, and I don't know if I just missed it because I've been traveling. But what are some of the things that you you took away from going there? Uh, biggest one that about knocked me out of my chair. So condos, um, condos and co-ops, a lot of problems with VA and FHA loans on those because they have more, more restrictions typically than conventional does. But the VA has now issued that they will be allowing for condo waivers. So if a condo has been denied or rejected by the VA to be on the approved condo list, the veteran is allowed to send in a request to waive the condo approval requirement. It's going to be like the two big things that when I talked to him about it, um, chief appraiser said, if it's currently in litigation for structural damage, like think about the Florida condos that collapsed, or if it is a case of discrimination where they are not allowing like a certain age demographic to buy in that neighborhood, unless it's a 55 plus community specifically, anything that would violate um, any of the protected classes and anything that's considered structural lawsuit or litigation, that's not likely to be approved. But any other condos that are just on the VA rejected list for whatever reason, the veteran is allowed to say, I acknowledge that reason and I do not care. I want to buy the condo anyways. And they will issue a condo waiver. That's huge. And, they, and then 
They have to, right? You said? Say that again? They have to be on the rejected list before they can, you know, issue, like they actually have had to apply it as a condo development approval. Right, correct. So if they were rejected and they never bothered to go back and get their approval, just because a lot of them that I'm seeing are because of occupancy, like over 50% occupancy with short-term renters, that does not matter. Nice. Well, that's for any real estate agent out there listening, I guess that would be a good source of people to go and see if they actually want to sell now because now they can actually get sell it and have a bigger pool of buyers. Yes. And especially just for any agents listening, listening into this. So if you have a condo that was rejected, doesn't matter if it was rejected by HUD, VA specifically, if it was rejected, you are still allowed and okay to put VA as eligible financing. Um, you may have to educate the loan officer on this because they have not announced it in a formal circular, but they are already accepting condo, uh, condo waiver requests. And it only it takes roughly seven days because they have to go through and double check that, hey, this is not for anything structural. It's not for anything that is a protected class violation, but it's fairly simple. Like it's just, hey, I acknowledge I want to buy it anyway. All right, you're good to go. Here's your approval. Continue on with the transaction. It's not like a spot approval. It could take a huge long length of time. We're not trying to reapprove the condo. We are just issuing a waiver or they're issuing a waiver that says we acknowledge that you acknowledge you're good to go. Nice. So now talking business in general and, you know, we'll let, you know, pull out your crystal ball and what do you see coming in the next 12, 24 months for real estate mortgages and all that good stuff? Ooh, I packed up my crystal ball. So, I mean, <laughs> what, there was an economist that was at the lenders conference and he was a bit of a doomsday kind of a guy, not going to lie. So if we are headed towards a full-blown depression, I think that we're probably going to get rates back in the low fives. I would not like to bank on a, you know, entire United States full-blown depression for rates to be tangible again, instead of where they are at currently. And I don't think five is really that great of a rate to begin with, since we had twos for so long. Um, that's a, that's a tough tough thing to kind of wrap your wrap your arms all the way around. For would you you say that the you know speaking on the whole rates thing, you know I, I had read it somewhere a while ago, and I I they you know they're always putting names to stuff, and the that they're talking about sellers are what they call it. I, it's like rate locked, where like psychologically they can't consider selling because of the rate that they have now, and that's that's the only reason whether it's good bad you know that's the only reason that's stopping them. I mean, are you you know are you seeing that people just have to get re-educated about? Because, I mean, the same thing, like, you know, people say, oh, historically rates are lower because in the 80s, you know, everybody goes back to the 80s, there were 18%, but obviously that was a different economy then and there's different, you know, you can do the math. Well, did 18% feel the same as 6% feels now? Like, what are, you, what are your thoughts when somebody gives you a, a, a concern about rates and where they're at? Oh, I'm going to sound so privileged when I say this. I don't get a lot of people that um, really buck about the rates. They know at this point, if they've been watching any kind of news and not had their heads in the sand, they know that rates suck. And I've done posts about it and content about it and said, hey, this is where the median rate is right now. This is a ballpark of if you're doing this kind of a loan product. I feel like we've gotten past the point where people are sticker shocked by the fact that rates jumped 
as swiftly as they did from, you know, high twos, low threes up to sevens, like we're, we're past that pain point. I think people are more careful with their money now. I'm having a lot of my, a lot of my veterans are being more diligent when they're inspecting a property. I'm seeing a lot of people willing to back out of a contract over a home, not in good shape. I haven't seen as many rate concerns. They're like, am I able to refi in, in six months if rates are down? If rates are down in six months, and as long as we've met the seasoning requirements, yes, but I'm not going to promise you a refinance. Is the That's the entirety of my sentence when it comes to rates. A lot of my folks are either active duty or being moved for work, so they don't have a choice. They're moving one way or another, and they can choose to lose all of their BAH, their housing allowance, or they can to a rental that is poorly managed by the Department of Defense. Sorry, Department of Defense. Your rental companies suck. Um, it, it's like a um, which they're picking the, the less the lesser of the two evils, buying a home with a higher rate and just sticking through it the best they can and making sure it's within budget. Um, as far as sellers, again, a lot of the folks that I have are active duty. So those same people are also getting PCS and a lot of them are not wanting to hold on to rentals right now because they are concerned about the economy. So for, for the pocket of the real estate that I'm in, there hasn't been a huge shift to prevent people from buying. There has been more diligence I've seen on properties and making sure that they're going into it well-informed, um, which is great. I love that. I'm, I'm totally here for that. I'm like, yes, back out of that property. That house is a complete dumpster fire. You should burn that house to the ground. Do not buy that property. <laughs> oh, don't don't even get me started on that whole thing and the, the, what happened with you know people paying a hundred thousand dollars over appraised value and all that all that fun stuff that's yeah that's that i'm not in any of those markets thank god because i know that there are still some markets where people are still offering over and i'm like i don't know why i don't know why you're doing that it's not that nice of a city and that's not that nice of a house if you are that desperate to be and it's mostly metro like a lot again we go back to my my demographic is either a active duty that's living in a military town where the housing prices are fairly stable. Because when you think about the affordability, somebody that's an active duty E4 with a family of three doesn't have enough money. Like the, they're all competing in the same pool. So you have a group of people that are all on the same pay rate. And the only difference may be that the spouse is working, which could push them into a higher purchase price, which would be less competition but the houses are still selling for that same median purchase price. Like if you look at Fort Bragg specifically, Fort Bragg's median sales price since the beginning of the pandemic has only raised $40,000. That is not a lot when you consider that the median was originally like 180, we're now up to like 230 and it's coming back down to be where that median income and where the local economy can support that sales price. So my, my again, my demographic is gonna be a lot uh, there's a vast difference. I don't have people that are buying in like the Metro of Charlotte, Metro of Raleigh. They're not buying in big cities because that's not where the bases are. So for my people, I'm luckily fairly isolated and protected from huge swings in value. Nice. So I usually talk about, um, you know, I try to touch on the four fundamentals or principles of business that I've learned throughout my entire, you know, life of doing business in all different being positioning, presence, proximity, and possibility. And positioning, obviously, you're doing by, you know, your social media, you're just educating people. So that that gives you the position of authority in the sense of, in people's minds that, hey, she knows what she's talking about. So you, you've you got that mastered. I mean, did you just one day say, hey, you know, 
people aren't being told the truth and this is what I need to do? Or did you like strategically and specifically decide like, you know, hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is going to be my marketing strategy for, I could be wrong, but my guess is that somebody pissed you off and you just grabbed your phone and started, you know, ran. <laughs> um, somebody didn't piss me off. I will say that. So the very, I can remember the very first list I made and I said, I'm going to do videos about these 10 things. And I'm like, what do I do when I run out of content? And that was in 2019. Uh, so suffice to say, I've yet to run out of things to talk about. People still like to listen to me talk about VA loans. I was really concerned when I first had that list. I'm like, what else am I going to tell people about? Like, cause I wanted to make sure after I read the handbook, I'm like, okay, I need to get this information out to people because I don't want to have to fight this fight on every single deal. I would prefer to have this conversation big picture. And so I posted to Facebook and those videos sucked. Oh my God. So cringy. So bad. I had an intro and everything. I'm like, Oh, glad we have blown up from that. Um, so I started posting that. And then I started posting about situations that like, I'm about to do a TikTok. And I know that it's probably going to get a decent amount of traction. I had this horror story for this veteran where this judge who did his divorce told him he was losing his VA benefit forever. And I'm like, that is not how that works. The judge doesn't get to decide whether or not you lose your benefit. And even if they awarded the house to your ex, you realize that there's like $486,000 more of your benefit left that you can use. He's like, really? And I'm like, yes, my guy. So- Having sit like I, I will try and normally now at this point when I'm positioning myself and what I'm going to talk about is I hear stories all day, every day, horror stories from veterans. And I'm like, okay, some of them are not things that I am comfortable with sharing because it's private. And then there are some things like that situation where I'm like, this is something that is likely affecting a lot of service members where some crappy judge in some court down in Florida told you something that is completely inaccurate, but because that's a person of authority you're taking that to heart. Well, let me tell you, that is not the authority for anything else other than your divorce. So I try and position in a way where it's like, what information is going to help people the most? Help the veterans that I serve and the active duty service service members, what is going to help them the most and what is pertinent to what's going on right now? Nice. And did you ever think like in regards to presence, like being always as a business owner, you always want to know that you want to show up where your people are. Did you ever think like that TikTok or Facebook were going to be where you were going to get so much traction? If you had told me where, you know, crystal ball, where you're going to be in a couple of years, I would never have pictured that asking to come on podcasts and speaking at the VA lenders conference and, you know, having this almost position of authority and raving fan base of veterans that are all like, oh my God, we love you. And I'm like, this is weird. Really? Why? No, I never in a million years would have thought this is, this is what I'm doing with my life. I just love you because of your uh, do-it-yourself home projects you post about, you know. <laughs> I need to stop those. I'm no good at those. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, is, you know, when I do a lot of consulting, I always tell them, like, you know, everybody's at a different stage of the game, right? Like somebody, if you, if we're talking about VA, um, you know, borrowers, somebody's either ready to buy a house or somebody doesn't even know that they have a VA benefit or what it's all about like do you curtail your messaging different for like do you make sure you cover all all ranges of where they're at in the in the journey like is that something that you consciously do like hey somebody may have not told this person that you know they signed up for the military and now they have this va benefit you know they might have heard of it but they have no idea what it's about um yes i will normally try and establish a baseline for what information like whenever because i get people that will find me on tiktok they will fill out a loan application and i've never spoken to them before and i will be like okay i need you to tell me 
what questions you have first, and that's going to help me establish a baseline for what knowledge you have on this or whether or not I need to go farther back. But everybody gets the baseline crash course of these are the instructions on it's not really the instructions. These are the six pieces that go into buying a home. So everybody gets the same the same fundamentals spiel, whether or not they've bought a house, whether or not they're first time home buyers, whether or not they've been lied to by another lender or another real estate professional or just misinformed. Here's the six fundamental pieces. This is how the mechanics of the loan work. Credit income assets. Don't do these things to screw this up once I give you this pre-approval letter and you will not be able to jeopardize this. This information has been verified by an underwriter. I give them the rank, essentially. It's me, underwriter, the VA for you know rank of authority for who decides whether or not your loan goes through. And this is what we're going to do to make sure we can mitigate the underwriter saying no. We're going to underwrite in advance. Okay, great. So you are good. Now it's the house that we're approving and taking the fear out of, okay, as long as I don't do these things, like, again, I give them baselines of don't do these things. Here's the nuts and bolts and the mechanics of it. Go through the whole thing with them. Tell them where we could have pitfalls that are above and beyond our control. And then I, we kind of get, I get into a Q and a essentially with each individual client, because again, everybody's situation is different. I'm rambling. I'm sorry, but yes, I do give everybody the same baseline. So they know, okay, my questions are higher. My questions are lower. What does this mean? And it helps dial in and kind of customize and tailor very specifically what we need to achieve and what they're wanting to achieve. That's that's exactly what I want. To know. That's the perfect answer because there's too many people that don't like. You know, the biggest thing that drives me crazy is in real estate. One of them, and there's lots of them, is you know everybody's running around with scripts, right? And they try to give everybody the same answer for everything. You know, the mm -hmm. thing for me, things, you know, like some people hate, you know, nails on the chalkboard, just like the rest of us. But the one thing that, that I hate when I hear is like, oh, that's a, that's an important or what is the What is the response to something like somebody says something they go, like, oh, that's a valid question. But here keep talking, you know, like they just keep going on what they're, you know, they think that just because they say, oh, that's a that's a great question. And then they keep rambling on their predetermined script. You know, they're not really even listening. Oh, I hate that. Or I think one of my least favorite things is buy the house, date the rate. Oh my God. That was, that was the worst when it was, when it was being everywhere. And that, that in itself, it's a, so there, I don't know who the one magical coach is that puts one social media post out and then everybody copies it. Well, and I'm, I, I, I don't know either, but I'd like to find them and shove them in a trash can because <laughs> What you're proposing by saying that as a whole sentence with your chest is, I don't care that you might not be able to afford this, you should buy a home because I'm a realtor, is the way I hear that sentence. That is not how that works. The rates all suck. Buy what you can afford comfortably is how that should be said. Yeah. I. I what do you, so, and, you know, I am not, even though I've done mortgages forever, I am not the VA loan person like that. That's why I pick your brain every now and then and shoot you a message because you are, you know, my source. Like if I ever want to know something about VA loans, if I got anything, I'm going to bother you. I that's probably just, know it. Because <laughs> you probably know it and, or you've seen it, you've done it. The whole, buy, you know, two, you know, one, two, three year buy down rate. That's not something that, is that a thing with VA loans? It is. And I've had a couple of, couple of families utilize that. Um, I think it's a good, I think it's a good idea. I think as long as they're well-educated on how those buy-downs work, it's not necessarily a bad idea. It is, it gives you a chance to kind of soften into what your worst case payment is. And if you have the opportunity to get a better rate because of the rates come down later, 
you do, you have that. There's no issues with it. Um, I don't have any qualms against it. The amount of money that it can take to cover seller concessions, if they need seller concessions, plus a buy down, like I, I don't pitch it because who wants their payment to change? For me personally, the way I view those is that's a great option if somebody wants one. But I set a budget for myself as a single mom to pay my bills. And I don't like my bills to change unless I choose them to change, you know? So. Yeah. Now to me, like I get flashbacks of the adjustable, you know, mortgage, you know, the countrywide loan with the, the low, less than the even interest payment and even, and every, oh, well, I told them, you know, that if they only pay this, this one, that they're going to be, it's like, no matter what you tell people, it's like, you know, when all the bills are starting to get behind or, you know, stuff is getting more expensive, you know, they're not, they're not going to remember that three years down the road or two years down the road or a year down the road, this payment's going to jump. Yes. Uh, that retweet, 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 like th that will wind up probably biting some loan officers in the butt because as much as you can educate a borrower when they're buying a house and say, your payment's going to go up, your payment's going to go up. If they life happens if they just completely forget and then all of a sudden the next mortgage payment is due and it's like oh by the way your payments adjusted up budgeting for extra money is very hard especially when you don't have like you have to actively plan for that i that's probably one of the things i don't like about it is you have to really beat home that the payment is going to adjust and i don't like putting anybody into a situation where they're going to wind up with a bill they weren't expecting even if they knew about it people forget and that's a human thing to do Right. And then I guess you would say that the, the population that uses the VA loans are even more on a fixed income than the average population. Um, uh, probably. Yeah. They, statistically speaking, according to the VA, I'll, the, the median credit score is still 712 the VA program. And I don't know where those particular veterans are. Um, I work with a lot of people that have, I work with everybody that Veterans United has denied. Let's just go ahead and call a spade a spade they don't have that kind of capital to play with that. And a lot of them have to be careful with their budgets. And I am very cognizant of that. So I, it's a great product for the people that it works for. It's not something I recommend for everybody. Um, and again, it has to be paid by the seller. So that's another huge thing is we're looking for on a $300,000 loan. I'm looking for $18,000 in seller concessions just for a three, two, one. Yeah. That's, that's a big ask, you know, when they're already paying real estate fees as well. Yeah, there's not a lot of sellers are like, sure, I'll just give up all of the equity I've gotten in the past couple of years. <laughs> yeah, this is so. this check. So, and then the last thing is possibility. I think that, you know, that I always tell, you know, businesses I consult with is like, you got to be able to explain the possibility to, you know, your prospects, your clients, whatever you want. For you, like, as, as somebody who's doing VA loans, like, there's a lot of people don't even know that you can buy, uh, you know, up to four units with a VA loan. I, I don't see that, you know, talked about you focus at all, or what is your thoughts on, you know, somebody buying the two, three, four unit with their VA loan? I think, oh, that's a, you can buy technically one veteran, four units, two veterans, six units is what the handbook says. Now those are particularly tough when it's two veterans, but just one veteran, it really depends. I don't think I've had but one veteran successfully buy a multi-unit because you are allowed to use the rental income to qualify, which is fantastic. Um, 
but you also have to have six months reserves and multi-unit properties are more expensive in most places. So we're talking a decent amount of capital that you have to have set aside. Um, it's not necessarily the qualifying that becomes sticky. It's making sure that the property in the places my veterans have been looking like Charleston and some of the areas of Texas, the zoning has been kind of a headache to deal with because it, it can't be zoned commercial. I've had more veterans that are <clears throat> building multi-units than, than they're buying existing because finding an existing multi-unit that is A, profitable, B, in good shape, C, um, move-in ready. Like there, there's a number of things that wind up happening. A lot of people that I've been seeing are doing renovations for multi-units, like converting like an old Victorian home that's you know 3,500 square feet into two or three apartments. I've had veterans with success in doing that because that lets you get in at an affordable price point, renovate, fix it up, convert or building. I have one veteran who is building four individual unattached dome homes in the mountains, and we're using Airbnb potential rental income from those domes to qualify him. So I don't think people know the scope of what you can do with it. I think building several multi-units, like several smaller individual units up to four on a parcel is a better use of their VA benefit than trying to find some super expensive double, you know, a duplex or a triplex in a high cost city, because again, median rental income is going to cap you out of what your purchase price is. Sorry. So like, and, I mean, you know this, but for the realtors listening, if you have a quad and the rentals for long-term are only worth $1,300, but the total cost of the property is $950,000 and you have a active duty service member wanting to get into investing. And now they're trying to qualify for something that is just not feasible that's harder to do than for a veteran to build four tiny homes on a parcel of land at $80,000 per tiny home. We're looking at a loan amount of maybe what, 500,000 plus land. And they could Airbnb those tiny homes out for $14,000 a month. You tell me gotcha. which is a better investment for that veteran. Now, okay, see now you got me down going down all kinds of rabbit holes and I always learn something when I talk to you. So one, I never knew that it was two veterans could do six units. Yes. The handbook now, says yes. Let me also be very clear on this in case Christopher Griffith is listening to this. That is not <laughs> a loan that is endorsable by Ginny May. So there's the VA handbook and then there's the Ginny Seller Servicing Guide, which is the terms in which a loan can be sold on the secondary market. And Ginny will not accept that loan and Ginny backs VA. So that is a loan that has to be done with a company or an investor that is going to hold that note and service that note. So... <laughs> Just to be super clear, so he doesn't come after me later for that. <laughs> He's gonna be like, "All right, look, you better edit that out." <laughs> <laughs> he may, but I, I clarified. I put that very specific context. You can; it can be technically up to six units. Um, there's not a lot of six-unit properties that qualify for that, though. So that it it makes itself a moot point very quickly. Now, what about so the the building? Like that was the other thing that, it, that as I was listening to, I was like, "That's you know." How does that work with, like, say, somebody who wants to build, like, a ADU on their property? Like, is that something they can do with the VA loan? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, all day. So how would, would that have to be something that it's a at purchase or refi, or how would that, how would that work? How would that have to be structured? Uh, are we assuming that the property is an existing property and they're not building their primary? Yeah, that, the, that there's already one house on the lot, but they want to, you know, build an ADU on it. It wouldn't, but, but they have to do it that way, or if they owned it, then they could refinance to do it, or how would that work? The easiest way to do it and to keep costs uh, in the most effective 
manner would be for them to do a VA renovation loan for the purchase. So it's a longer transaction for the realtor. You're looking at between 45 to 60 days. Veteran's going to come in with their realtor and a contractor to put a bid for the ADU. And then the appraisal is ordered subject to uh, the eventual completion of that. It doesn't need to get done before closing. It can have, I believe it's up to six months for the investor that we have. They'll go up to six months after closing for the construction of the ADU. And then a final inspection post-completion and that they're living in the house already at this point. So pretty much just get the invoice to show that it's going to be the only, the only caveat. Let me back up. So purchase price plus improvements has to equal appraised value. So if they're doing a tiny home or an ADU and it's going to be a hundred grand, but market only supports them going up to $50,000 above the list price to add an ADU because market only supports an ADU being worth 50, then they have to renegotiate their contractor bid. And would the increase say there on the, you know, cause I'm just going to ask you all the questions. <laughs> say they're qualified for the ADU, but they're going to rent it out. That future rent be considered? Yes. Nice. I had to think about that one for a second and remember which part of the handbook that was in. That's going to be in chapters 14, 4, and 7. In case I love Go look that up. <laughs> yes, you can use the proposed future rental income from the ADU uh, to qualify. Nice. Well, Miss Ariel, I want to thank you for letting me pick your brain, you know, and also doing a podcast at the same time. And no for always being there. Happy to help. I've thoroughly enjoyed coming on. If you have any other questions, uh, so everybody knows where to find me, it's that one damn ginger all spelled out on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Never give that handle up or VA loan lady at you mortgage if you have questions. So thank you so much for having me. Uh, whose idea was it for that handle for that damn ginger? That was mine. That was one of those things where I was like, it was an accident and I never went back and changed it. It just is what it is now. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, you guys reach out to her if you have any questions. She is the end all be all for VA loans. And thank you once again for being on. Thanks for having me.